you that are visiting, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor of the Gathering Place Church, and we're really glad you're here. If you're looking for a home church, um, just check us out. Might be God leading you here to be part of our spiritual community. Uh, we only do three things here. We love Jesus, we love one another, and we love our world with the love of God. And we are reaching all over the globe. We have missionaries going on practically every continent. We send missionary teams from here. We also serve our immediate city. And uh, we're in relationship with city officials. And uh, we are here to serve and to be a blessing. And... Uh, and so, and it's a fun church too. It's, uh, we just, we just, we're just relaxed because we're saved and we didn't deserve it and we're happy about it. So, and we've been going through the book of John and we're going to continue to go in the book of John today in John chapter 16. So let's pray and let's get into the word of God this morning. Jesus, we love you, love you, love you, love you, love you. Unashamed of you and we just love you out loud. We pray our light shines so brightly. Everywhere we go, that it will be a light in the darkness. So those who don't know you yet can find you through us. That's our whole purpose for being here. Lord, in the meantime, your word lightens us up. It renews our minds. It strengthens our hearts and it reveals God to us. So we pray today, Holy Spirit, flow through this place as the teacher And let us see Jesus for who he truly is. Amen. Amen. John chapter 16. How many of you have come to a place where you have learned that life is hard? (laughs) Just raise your hands. Anybody? Life Life can be tough, huh? Okay. How many of you have also learned that receiving help is a major key to success in life. Raise your hands. Look, there's only a few reasons why people don't receive help. One is pride. I can do it all myself. That's going to break you. I mean, you'll come to a place, one, your life is going to be much, 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 much smaller than God ever created and intended for you to experience. Secondly, would be fear. I'm afraid to make myself vulnerable to others, be seen as weak, and then maybe if they help me now, you know, they're like, you know, they got one up on me and I'm, I'm under them and that weird stuff. The other would be, um, feeling unworthy. That you don't want to impose on others. Here's what I've learned. I've learned that when I open myself up to help, even be as bold as to ask for help, And for those of you that are close to me, you know that I am unashamed to ask for your help. Because what I've found is I get a lot more stuff when I ask for help. My life is easier and my life is better and my life is bigger when I allow other people to help me. So not only do I say yes if you ask me for help, I hope you make sure it's sincere because I'm going to say thank you. Because even if I can do it myself, I still say yes, because what I've learned is it deepens my relationships with those around me. I remember I was raised in a, in a movement that was very strong on confession, confessing the word of God at all times. So the, the problem with that, I found, was like when I'm weak or when I'm sick or when I'm in financial need, if you ask me how I'm doing and all I do is quote scripture back at you uh, and say by his strength, you know, by his stripes I'm healed or, or God provides all my needs, you can't know my real present condition, which means you can't enter into it. 
have mercy and empathy on me and then agree with me to get me out of the situation by mixing our faith together and potentially you might be the answer to God's prayer in my life. So I have found that the depth of relationship with one another, with others in my life, is more important than me being self-sufficient. Why am I bringing that up? Two reasons. One, I hope that just helps some of you that don't receive help from others. You're closing out a larger life. You're robbing other people from having the blessing and the joy of helping you. And you are causing your relationships to remain more shallow than they would be if you would let people in. That's a good word right there, isn't it? That was like worth the whole you getting up and getting dressed and looking good and coming in here, isn't it? The other reason I'm bringing this up is because this whole chapter Jesus is about to teach us is about help. And it's a help that you and I have to have. Because even if you could get along in life without receiving help from others, even though you'll live a small life, you can maybe make it through life. What Jesus is going to present to us in this chapter, you cannot make it without the help he's about to introduce us to. So let's go to John chapter 16 and let's uh, look at verse 1. John chapter 16 verse 1. He says, these things, Jesus is speaking to us, these things I have spoken to you. Now, what things is he talking about? Well, to know what things he's talking about, we need to go back a chapter to chapter 15, and let's start in verse 18. John fifteen 18. I'm going to wait until we, we get there together. John fifteen eighteen. Okay, I'm I'm just going to go ahead and read and you can listen. Here we go. If the world hates you. Okay, now, that word if there is a rhetorical if. Jesus knows that the world is going to hate his followers. And he uses the word hate here. That's a really strong word, isn't it? None of us want to be hated. We all want to be liked and hopefully loved, accepted, included in. Jesus is saying, if you follow me, you are going to be hated. But look, look what he says. If the world hates you, he could have said when, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Now, nobody's going to admit that they hate Jesus. Nobody's going to say, I hate Jesus. If you say to somebody, you hate Jesus? No, I don't hate Jesus. But here's the reality. And this is what Jesus teaches here in this. And, and, and we need to learn not to take the hatred of those who have not yet come to Christ personally. Because honestly, if I was not a Christian and I was not a follower of Christ, I would not hold the value system I hold. But because I have chosen to follow Christ, then his value system has to be my value system or I'm not following him. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So when somebody's, if somebody were to say, well, I don't hate Jesus, you say, well, he believes that marriage is between a man and a woman. He is against abortion. 
He does not want to see us ravaging the earth and polluting the atmosphere. Jesus cares about every person. Jesus does not like greed. He hates it with every fiber of his being. And he wants to make sure that we are not uh, forgetting about those who are less fortunate than us. Jesus hates racism. He hates oppression. He hates injustices. And so uh, whenever we run into his value system, sexual purity, sex before marriage, he calls for celibacy. You know, my wife teaches a subject at San Diego State University, and she teaches on um, sexuality in one of her classes because she's uh, getting a Ph.D. in public health. And she has to teach um, a, one of these, um, you know, 100-level classes in human sexuality. And in the curriculum, they have celibacy, but it's like every professor just like skips over it like really fast because they just think it's ridiculous. Well, she sits on it for a little while. I, yeah, I call her, you know, you know, Daniel in the Bible when he was brought into captivity and he ended up being the smartest, the most, had a spirit of excellence and he served an ungodly king and became his right hand man, right? You guys know the book of Daniel. If you don't know the book of Daniel, that's what it's about. I call her my Daniela. Cause she is up in a system in a field of public health that is um, let me say, it's an understatement to say they are not um, embodying the value system of Christ. But she's not obnoxious with her faith. She's right smack up in the middle of it, and she's an influencer by who she is. Her, her speech is seasoned with salt. She chooses her battles wisely. And when she has moments like sitting in front of uh, young 18, 19, 20 year olds talking about human sexuality. You know, many Christians will say, oh, we got to stay away from the world. Well, we did that at the turn of the century. It's called the holiness movement. And we turned over the education system. We turned over the, uh, the entertainment. We turned over the arts. We really turned over everything in the name of holiness. When Jesus, God himself, came down to this sin-soaked earth and jumped right smack in the middle of the ugliness and loved everybody. And the worst of the worst liked him. You know who they didn't like? Religious people. They didn't like the Pharisees and neither did Jesus. He loved them, didn't like them very much. So, when people hate you, it really is that they hate the value system that you embrace. And so what do we do sometimes as followers of Christ because we don't want to be hated? We compromise our value system so that we can fit in. And Jesus says, when salt has lost its saltiness, what good is it? What good is it if a light is put under a bushel? I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I am absolutely unashamed. I hold his value system, and by the grace of God, I will to the day I die. And I hope that because of that, somebody will find Jesus through me. How about you? Three people, Jesus. How about you? Okay. So Jesus is saying, if they hate you, you have to understand it's because they hate me. Now, for those of you who have not yet come to Christ, and you would say, that is, that's just, 
That's not true. It actually is. In fact, Jesus goes on to say something that's even more startling, that if you hate Jesus, His value system, you actually hate God. I'll read it. It's His words. Let's go on. Verse 18, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, everybody say amen, but I chose you out of the world, Now, but remember, next week, Mark will teach on John 17, where Jesus says that he put us in the world, but we're not of it. So we're not out of the world physically, we're out of the value system of the world. But we're in the belly of the beast, being the salt and light of the world, until Jesus takes us out of here, and then it's all over. So, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would keep yours also. And then in verse 23, he says, he who hates me, hates my father. So let's not take it personally. It's guilt by association. But I don't mind being associated with Jesus. So John 16, now let's go back to John chapter 16, verse 1. Isn't this good news today? Aren't you glad you came? Isn't this fun? Isn't this a great message? Are you encouraged? You see, this is, this is the problem with actually reading the Bible and then teaching from the Bible itself as you run into things like this. But I am so glad that Jesus is teaching us these things, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. These things I've spoken to you, verse 1, chapter 16, that you should not be made to stumble. That you should not be made to stumble. There is a huge problem we have right now in our nation in particular, but also in the world. And that is raising a generation that is easily offended. Like microaggressions. I was talking to one of the high school principals here, right here in Mount Carmel. We're sitting right down there where Anthony is sitting. And he and I were sitting next to each other. And he said he just went through multicultural training and how easily we offend other cultures. And now we have to be so careful. I totally agree with that. When I go overseas with Stephanie, we take mission trips. I say, okay, tell me what not to do when I get over there because I don't want to unnecessarily offend people when I'm trying to bring them to Jesus. The unnecessary offenses are something we need to be very sensitive to because we want to honor and love one another. But what I said to him, you know the Bible actually says that love is not easily offended. And then we got interrupted. And he said... What, what did you, what, what was that? And we got interrupted, and so I emailed him later. I emailed him a few, a few scriptures. I said, the Bible says that love is not easily offended. That love covers a multitude of sin. He emailed me back and said, and I said, I think one of the major problems is we're training people how to be easily offended. Either, all the way down to a microaggression. Rather than teaching people how to overlook an offense. It says it's to the honor of a person to overlook an offense. 
Rather than being professionals at being offended, let's be professionals at overlooking offenses. So if there's any way that you and I as followers of Christ could be different than the world, let's not be easily offended. If nowhere else, how about in church? Wouldn't that be heaven on earth? I'm telling you, offense is the bait of Satan. He has ruined more relationships and divided more churches through the gift of offense than anything else. And this is what the world is being trained to be good at, is being offended. That's the second sermon that was worth coming for today, wasn't it right there? So we're raising a generation... Of how to be offended. This is what Jesus is saying to his, to his disciples. That word stumble actually is the word, the Greek word offense. I'm telling you these things so you won't be offended. Right there. They're going to hate you. And I'm telling you they're going to hate you so that when they hate you, you won't be offended at their hatred. Because really they hate me. Really they hate God because of his value system. Here's a phrase I've adopted that I really, really love. This is for parenting as well as discipleship, and that is this. Jesus prepared the path for his disciples, his followers, but he also prepares the followers for the path. Now, let me say this. I'm going to meddle a little bit when it comes to parenting. I believe that this generation of parents, because I I work with a lot of parents, and we do parenting seminars, and so... I can say this from somewhat of an educated standpoint. My observation is, in this generation, we are preparing the path for our followers, our kids, very well. We are making sure they have the right classes in school, making sure that they have, they're in the right sport, making sure all their needs are met, you know, making sure they're, they're coddled and cuddled and loved and affirmed and everybody gets a medal and all that. We're preparing, you know, the path for our kids. We're making sure we're helping them with the college entrance exams. We're setting them up. We're making sure that the path is set for them. But the problem with this is the other half, I don't believe on a large scale, is being done, and that is preparing our kids for the path. Because life is hard. My wife, uh, she told this story a little while ago. She, she uh, got into a conversation with a couple of homeless people over by UCSD on the street. She was in between classes. And she, they, they asked her for money or whatever. And she stopped and engaged in them in a conversation. And she said, will you guys tell me your story? Because you see, for us with the homeless, most of the time, we get our information about the homeless from second hand or third hand. And then we hear political arguments about how to take care of the homeless. But none of us have actually talked to a homeless person or engaged them or really been up with them. Not everybody, but most of us, if I, I believe. So she engages them. Well, she found that two of them had two completely different stories. One guy had been beaten since he was the, you know, a kid and he couldn't remember a household item he was not beat with. So he was completely crushed and destroyed. The other guy said, had a completely opposite story. My mom and dad provided everything for me. I never had to do anything for myself. Delayed gratification, learning, their, learning how to teach your child that life is not fair, learning and teach them how to deal with disappointment effectively, learn how to forgive other people, learn how to overcome offenses while they're at home so that we get into the real world and people don't love them. And are not going to roll out the red carpet for them. 
they can survive and, and thrive. He said, my, I was in business with my dad. He paid for everything. He did everything for me. Then my dad died you know, suddenly of a, of a heart attack. And he said, I did not know how to do anything for myself. Literally, he had no skill sets. He was not prepared for the path. And he said, so I ended up on the streets. And he said, I would rather live on the streets because I have a hard time facing responsibilities because it was never built into me. Well, I want to say something to us as followers of Christ. When we preach a gospel that has come to Jesus and everything is going to be wonderful. We set up a consumerism Christian culture that when our prayers aren't answered, when we find ourselves persecuted, when we suffer with sickness and disease and untimely deaths and tragedy, we get mad at God. Why do you think He gave us His armor? Put on the whole armor of God so that you will be able to stand in the evil day. I mean, we are in a battle. We've got the world that will hate believers and we've got Satan that hates believers. So yes, when you come to Christ, like Lisa, who got saved here a few weeks ago and got baptized last Sunday, she says, when you guys laid hands on me and I received Christ, this peace flowed through me I've never experienced before. The joy is unbelievable. She's telling all of her friends and her family members about this wonderful new life. She is so jacked up on Jesus. It's just wonderful. And that is true. And that is awesome. But that's only half the story. The other half is, now she has a target on her back the enemy wants to shut her down he hates her because he hates Jesus and there are going to be people that do not embrace her value system she's now a changed person and she has to be told this what did Jesus say so that you will not stumble be offended and fall back from me amen do you know when I go overseas and I have interpreters that go with me and guides that go with me through villages. Every single one of them know somebody, a friend or a family member, or themselves, who have been persecuted, tortured, or killed for their faith in Christ. When the pastors send their disciples out every morning, literally, they don't know if they will ever see them again. Every one of these disciples that Jesus is talking to right now, the first followers, every one of them were killed except for one, John. They tried to kill him, but he wouldn't boil in oil, so they didn't know what to do with him. So they put him out of the Isle of Patmos, and Jesus appeared to him and gave him the book of Revelation. Then he came back to Ephesus, and he pastored there until he died. All the rest of them, literally, well, let's read on. Verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you, kills, will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I do not say, these things I do not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. Okay, so that was a very bleak backdrop. For the very, very good news we're about to read, which is what this chapter is all about. Verse 5. But now I go away. That, that doesn't sound like good news, but it actually is. 
But now I go away. It, didn't, it wasn't good news to their ears. He just told them, the world's going to hate you, and they're going to kick you out of the synagogue, and then they're, they're going to kill you. And I'm leaving you. <laughs> that just, just does not sound like good news at all. And he says, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Again, what we looked at in John chapter 14 is they do not have the eternal perspective. And many times we don't either. We are so locked up in our day-to-day, we're so locked up in this earth, in this temporary vapor experience that we're in, that we forget the eternal perspective, which Jesus said in John 14, which I taught a couple weeks ago, I go to prepare a place for you in my dad's house, and I will come back and I will get you, and then we will spend eternity together. See, that's the eternal perspective. This is all temporary. So what should our purpose be in the earth? To get more? To get all we can? Can all we get and sit on the can? No, our purpose on this side of heaven is to lead as many people to Jesus as we possibly can before He comes back or before we go see Him face to face. And our lives, are the way we live, our speech, what we post on Facebook is all supposed to be salt and light to draw people to Christ. So the world can have the only hope that there is salvation and forgiveness through Him. And Jesus says, and I am going to show you how you're going to be able to endure persecution and be the light of the world while I'm gone. You ready? Here we go. Nevertheless, verse 7, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. That has got to be explained. And here he comes. For I do not go, for if I do not go away, the helper. Everybody say the helper. It sounds like a superhero, you know? The Joker, the Riddler, (laughs) the helper. (laughs) That's great. The helper. What a great name for the Holy Spirit. Now you understand why I opened this message talking about receiving help in life. Jesus knows that we are going to need all the help we can get, especially if we're his followers. So he sends us a superhero named the helper. And the word the helper, this word literally means one identical to me who will come alongside you. Not beautiful. It's kind of like when I was teaching Elliot how to hit a baseball, you know, you pitch the ball and. He's up like this, and you pitch the ball, and he's down like this, and pitch the ball, and he's like this, and nowhere even near, right? And so you have to have mom, okay, you go stand over there, mom, and hopefully you can pitch, and you pitch the ball right here, and then you, I, I'd get behind him, I'd lean over him, and we'd both have our hat. And then she'd pitch, you know, out of the outfield, and this big smile on his face, right? I did most of it, but he was in the mix. Let me say this to you and I. The Holy Spirit does most. That's why Jesus says you've got, don't go anywhere, he says in the book of Acts. Don't go anywhere until you receive the power from on high. And then you see the book of Acts. It's called the Acts of the Apostles. I think it should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. I think that would be a more accurate title for that book. 
And it's the most accurate title for us right now, the current day followers of Jesus Christ. The acts of the Holy Spirit through us. The love of God that's agape for the most ugly person you know. Forgiveness for people who just are so offended. Praying. Praying in another language, a heavenly tongue. Laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. Being bold enough to preach the gospel in a post-Christian culture. Having peace when you're stressing out and you call to God and His Holy Spirit. Wisdom from God to solve problems. I mean, I could go on and 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 on about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives and how important the Helper is. But I want Jesus to talk about Him, so let's keep reading here. And verse 8, and when he, oh by the way, see that word he? Many times when people talk about the Holy Spirit, like in Jehovah's Witnesses, they say he, it's an energy source, an energy force. But Jesus calls the Holy Spirit he. He's a person. He has a personality. And the things we're about to read that the Holy Spirit does, energy, an energy force can't do the things that we're about to read. It would take a person. In fact, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. It's Him. It's His Holy Spirit. It's Christ in spirit form living in us and through us. And so we go on to read about the person of the Holy Spirit. And when He, He, everybody say He. See, the Bible says you and I can quench the Holy Spirit, grieve the Holy Spirit, resist the Holy Spirit, blaspheme the Holy Spirit. We can be led by the Holy Spirit. We can be filled by the Holy Spirit. We can hear the Holy Spirit. We can operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, like wisdom and knowledge and gifts of miracles and and gifts of healings and speaking in tongues and prophecy and all these things. See, once Jesus went to heaven, now the Holy Spirit is here. My hope today... And forever is that you and I will relate to the Holy Spirit in the same way we relate to Jesus. Because Jesus is in heaven and the Holy Spirit is now here with us. Everybody say the helper. (laughs) Amen. When you wake up tomorrow morning, say good morning, helper. And when he has come, watch what he will do. He will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, verse 9, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, and of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Okay, so there's three things that the Holy Spirit does for those in the world. Number one, he convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The word convict here literally means to prove guilty. Now that sounds like bad news. People say, oh, religion is just all about guilt. Well, it can be. Like, I don't know if you guys know where the, you know, the, the, uh, the weather vane, the rooster that's up on roofs, right? Shows you which way the wind's blowing. Do you know where that came from? A pope put that up on the church to remind people about Peter's denial of Christ. That's where that came from. Isn't that horrible? 
I mean, think about it. When Peter first saw Jesus, after he cursed and denied even knowing him, what did Jesus do when he first saw Peter face to face? Did he say, really? Seriously? Thanks a lot. Is that what he did? What did he do? He cooked him breakfast. <laughs> grace! Everybody say grace! See, that's what you need to put up on the church roof is the word grace, not a rooster. Reminding them of how Jesus said, the rooster will crow before you... D- you. What, what did he say? The rooster will crow three times. No. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. I know the Bible. Really, I do. For those visiting, I really, I've read it before. Jesus cooks him breakfast and just says, do you love me? Yes. All right, let's go. And that's what he says to you and me. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Josh, you need to write a song. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Guilt is actually a good thing because it means your conscience is working. What do we call people who harm others, harm themselves, and they don't feel any remorse for it whatsoever? Yeah, sociopaths, psychopaths, right. And this is what a teaching that has gone through the body of Christ now, hyper grace, does. They say there's no need for repentance. The Holy Spirit is not convicted of sin. Jesus already forgave us our sins, past, present, and future. What that does, I believe, first of all, it's scripturally inaccurate, I believe. Secondly, it deadens you to the uh, ministry of the Holy Spirit that will say, no, don't do that. Don't go that direction. Stop. That's not healthy. Right? That's called conviction. Look at this. Convicts the world of sin. This is a good thing because if there's no conviction, there's no repentance, which means there is no salvation. That's why Jesus says the Holy Spirit's going to convict the world of sin because they don't believe in me. He's not rebuking the world. What he's saying is the Holy Spirit must convict people of sin. The sin of not believing in me is the Son of God. The Bible says, Jesus says that is a sin, not believing in Him. So that they can be saved. So, the Jews who had Jesus crucified, when Peter busts out of the upper room where he was hiding for fear, then the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and the same guy that was hiding for fear is now out in the middle of the concourse with thousands and thousands of Jews on the greatest holy day of the year, and he comes out on the day of Pentecost, and he's in the middle of the streets of Jerusalem, and he shouts out, as they're all, the disciples are all speaking in tongues, and the crowd comes around, oh my gosh, these guys are plastered, and it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Peter says, they're not drunk. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what the prophet Joel says. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God, through Peter, starts preaching this amazing sermon. And 3,000 Jews get saved. But how do they get saved? You know what they said after Jesus, uh, after Peter preached the sermon? These are the same Jews that had Jesus crucified, not but a few days earlier. They said, it says, they were cut to the heart. 
If you and I are afraid to preach the offensive gospel, you are lost, you need to be found. That's called sin, and you need to repent, God will forgive you. Jesus died for our sins, rose from the dead, He's the only way. If we water that down so that we are not hated, we give the world no hope of being cut to the heart so they can cry out and say, What must we do? That's what they did. What must we do? And Peter says, believe on him and be baptized and you shall be saved and you shall receive the Holy Spirit and so shall your whole family. And they did. And that began the church. I'm a little bit passionate about this. Because I find it's one thing to be trying to reach the world for Christ with the gospel. It's another thing to be also having a portion of the body of Christ preaching a non-offensive, milquetoast, don't mention sin or repentance gospel because it's going to send people to hell. You'll have a large church. You'll be popular. Maybe. But you're just not helping People find Christ for forgiveness of sins. That's how I feel about it. Convict the world of sin. Convict conviction, the Holy Spirit, conviction of righteousness. He convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We just covered the sin piece. Righteousness. Who gets to determine what is right and wrong? You see, this is another major issue we have in the earth. The reason the earth is in such chaos is because whoever shouts the loudest, who has the most political power, whoever has the the, the best lobbyists, whoever has the majority or a minority in any given situation that can push, control, manipulate, can, can... shove their value system into our culture wins. Even a democracy doesn't work because if the majority rules, that doesn't mean the majority is right. I had a friend yesterday we were talking to, he's not a Christian, and he said, yeah, that's why we have a constitution. I said, but who wrote the constitution? You see, The Constitution can become our God. God is our God. God is the one who determines what is right, what is wrong, what is moral, and what is immoral. So if the Constitution and amendments are going off God's course, it needs to come back on God's course. If you're in my lives are going off course with the way we think and what we think is right and wrong, what we think is sin or not, what we rationalize, we need to come back on God's course. I like what Pastor Josh says, a worship pastor, on God's page. That's the way he has been addiction on all of his emails, on God's page. That's the page I want to be on. How about you? And so that's why the Holy Spirit convicts the world of right and wrong. You know, in fact, you know the Bible says that God is going to judge us on creation and on our, on our conscience. Romans chapter 1. So that's why with Darwin evolution, what it cannot answer is the conscience. Where did that come from? Where did the soul come from? 
We can debate matter, but what are you going to do with conviction, with conscience, with a moral understanding of right and wrong deep in our being that was never taught to us, we just know what's right and wrong. Where did that come from? The Bible says that God's going to judge us that He exists on creation itself. Romans chapter 1. And or he will, he will judge us based on our conscience. What is he talking about? He's talking about those who reject him. So when they face, see him face to face, he can say, creation itself proved that I exist. And your conscience I put in your soul also proves that I exist. And it actually is the one that judges you. He doesn't want to do this, but the day is coming when the curtain's going to drop and the show's over and it's called Judgment Day. There are two judgments today. One is the white throne judgment. And that is a judgment where all the sins ever committed are in a book. And when we look at, when we face God, He's going to open the book so that when He judges us as the righteous judge, He will be just in His judgment because He has all of our sins recorded. That's really bad news. But here's the good news. There's another judgment seat called the judgment seat of Christ. It is not a judgment for sin. It is a judge, it is, it's actually the word is a reward ceremony. It's an award ceremony. Every person who has come to Christ, who lived their life for Him, served Him, whatever you did from every prayer you pray, every dime you put in the bucket to help the gospel reach the world, every person that you forgive, every person you share Christ with, every act of kindness you do in His name, literally is being recorded and it will be rewarded when you see him face to face. And your name is in the book of life, not the book of sins. In fact, there will be no record of your sin because Christ Jesus already took care of our sins. That's why I, I am convinced that no political movement is going to get our world back to where it needs to be. Because it's just a battle over who thinks what is right and what is wrong. What is hate speech? What is free speech? All this stuff that we're fighting over. What is racism and who got offended? All this stuff. What we need is a moral revolution through a spiritual revival, which is the only thing that gets the human heart and the human mind on God's page. The last thing the Holy Spirit does is convict of judgment, which is what I just talked about. He goes on to say in verse 11, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So, the ruler of this world is Satan, who will ultimately be judged and thrown into uh, the lake of fire forever, and it'll be over. And Jesus reigns as Lord of lords and kings of kings in the earth. All those who reject the free forgiveness that Christ is offering right now, will have the same fate as the devil himself. That's why the Holy Spirit convicts the world of judgment. It's coming. Let me close with this. But once you come to Christ, the Holy Spirit's ministry changes 
And it opens up in the most wonderful of ways. Everything up to this point was to get you to come to God through Christ Jesus and enter the family of God, the kingdom of God. The Bible says, thank be to God who delivered us from the powers of darkness and and transferred us into the kingdom of his son. Can everybody say amen to that? Once that happens, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And look what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit here. And being that we're a charismatic church, a spirit-filled church, you will see all sorts of Holy Spirit activity in this church and in our small groups and in our outreaches and in every fellowship in your life. However, Jesus says, however, I love that. However, verse 13, when He, everybody say He, the Spirit of truth, Love that is his name. He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I say, he will take in mine and he will declare it to you. In this little short chunk right here, Jesus says these things about the Holy Spirit. He's the Spirit of truth. He guides, He speaks, He hears, He tells, He shows. In Mark's new book that will be premiered next week, it's about the supernatural. It's called Reluctantly Supernatural in a... What? In the Age of Reason. And he has story after story after story after story after story after story of the Holy Spirit's supernatural work. The best story is the one he tells about me. I'm actually in the book. I'm kidding. I am in there, but it is a good story. But it's the acts of the Holy Spirit. Not of us. But he flows through us. That is why we so honor the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our church. I know he's kind of like the weird cousin in some places. And he, you know, praying for the sick and prophesying and speaking in tongues and dreams, visions. But it's otherworldly. But how much do we need the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? I mean, there have been times where I've counseled with somebody and then the Holy Spirit just gives a word of knowledge. That's information on why you're behaving the way you are. Because when you were a child, this happened. And that's why you have this pain on the inside of you that has caused you to go this direction. Like, oh my gosh, that is exactly what happened. I mean, you can never get to that in a million years in just natural counseling. You try to get there. You ask a bunch of questions that's so down the inside of it. The Holy Spirit knows everything. And he just gives you information. Or less, who's a member of our church over here. You know, he's a lawyer and he's going to a, a meeting in Chicago somewhere. And he, he's in a cab. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit says the cab driver has a pain in his left hip. And so he takes a chance and says, do you have an issue with your hip? Yeah. And then he goes, I drive all the time and I'm sedentary in my hip. And he goes, let's pray for that. He prays for the guy and he gets completely healed. I mean, we have story after story after story after story after story of these kinds of things. I'm playing cards at my house at the turn of last year. And I play this card game. 
And if you get threes and twos, you win. I got threes and twos and I won. We come to church the next morning and Kathy Mancini, who's given to visions, she sees things in her imagination. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. She says, I see a hand of cards and it's threes and twos. And God says, we have a winning hand at the Gathering Place Church right now. But I don't know how you can win with threes and twos. I was just playing the game the night before. What is that? Who is that? That's the Holy Spirit. Revealing Jesus to us, His plan for our lives, and what He's doing in the here and now, that's the Holy Spirit. I mean, I, I, we could just stand here and I could just start telling you story after story after story of the Holy Spirit's work. That's what Jesus is trying to say to His disciples. And you read the book of Acts, visions, trances, dreams, prophecies, healings, miracles, unusual miracles being done by the hands of Paul, and none of that has stopped. There are those in the body of Christ, unfortunately, that teach that these miracles have ended with the last apostle. There is no biblical precedent for that whatsoever, and it is one of the most damning things that has happened to the body of Christ, because they lopped off our left arm. The devil, he hasn't lost his power. And so why would Jesus remove the turbo from the body of Christ when the devil's amping his up? It's foolishness and it is damaging to the body of Christ. So we honor the Holy Spirit in this church. Holy Spirit, we honor you in this place. We welcome you. Can you just open the palms of your hands and let's just close by just honoring the Holy Spirit today. We honor you. We welcome you. We love you. We don't want anything that's not you, Holy Spirit. But we want everything that is you. You saved us. You lead us. You guide us. You comfort us. You help us. And we love you. See, the Holy Spirit needs to be welcomed. He needs to be honored. He needs to be wanted. The Bible says to earnestly, desirously pursue passionately the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That means the Holy Spirit needs to know that you want more of Him. Can we just all stand right where you are and let's just, let's just let the Holy Spirit know in this church that we want more of Him. Jesus, thank you for teaching us about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16. Thank you for preparing the path for us by going to heaven before us, going through the cross, the death and resurrection, preparing a place for us in heaven. You prepared the path for us. Thank you also for preparing us for the path by telling us it's going to be hard and then giving us the Holy Spirit. Fill us and strengthen us and empower us. Heal us and move us. Just take a moment. Just open your hands and let's just welcome the Holy Spirit fresh and new in this place in your life. Welcome you, Holy Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit, you are welcome. You welcome here, Holy Spirit. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Well, let's sing this to him. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be overcome by your Place and fill the atmosphere. 
Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for To be overcome by your presence, Lord the Holy Spirit, just raise your hand Just let Him pour Himself upon you this morning We're going to sing this one more time And let's just, not let this just be a sermon Let's let it be an experience with the Holy Spirit Yield your life to Him right now. That's the way you get filled with Him. Yield His authority. Yield completely to Him and say, God, I'm yours. I'm under your authority. I love you. I love your Son. Fill me now with the Holy Spirit. Tell Him, I want to be the song light of the world. I don't want to be fearful and intimidated. I want to be a mouthpiece for you. I want to be an example for you, God. Fill me. Fill me. Fill me today. Sing this again. be broken. Come down here. Let them lay hands on you. Let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit.
in this place tomorrow and do things that medicine can't do and counseling can't do and self-will can't do. Come for a supernatural impartation. If you need to slip out, you can please slip out the slide door. Don't open up these middle doors because I want to keep this atmosphere honoring to the Holy Spirit because He's been honored today and He wants to respond with His supernatural power. If you've never received Christ for your forgiveness of your sins, come down front. They'll pray with you to receive Jesus. Otherwise, feel free to stay in worship. Feel free to come out for prayer. You can feel free to slip out. Get your your kids. Let's continue to worship. Let's do the side doors, Daryl, not the middle doors. Let's let's, let's close those middle doors. And uh, let's use the side door. Bless you, everybody. I'm just going to worship. Thanks for coming today. Let's honor the Holy Spirit. Let's worship Jesus.